Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Coming to you from the worldwide headquarters in the middle of nowhere. It's the Jim Day podcast. All right, welcome to the inaugural edition of the Jim Day podcast. Now I knew at some point they dragged me into this podcast world. So hello podcast world actually they didn't drag me in at all this is something that i've had my eyes on for a while i was just waiting for the right time and the time folks is now so in the coming days weeks and months if you'll have me we'll take deep dives into the sports world namely major league baseball and my beloved cincinnati reds we'll talk to players managers coaches broadcasters front office types, and who knows, perhaps even a celebrity or two along the way. Now, we hope to entertain you. Of course, we're going to talk X's and O's of sports and baseball, but we'll also have a much bigger diet of the human interest type stuff, pop culture, and quite honestly, what makes people tick in this ever-changing world. Now, the best thing about podcasts is it's, it's really still evolving and there's no set formula, so we're going to just let this show take us wherever it takes us. There's going to be lots of deep dive interviews, and hopefully I'll ask some questions along the way that perhaps the interviewee has never been asked before, and hopefully you'll learn a thing or two that otherwise you wouldn't have known about that person. You know, things, for example, just, hey, that guy eats the same thing I eat in the morning, or he listens to my music, or she uses that app. Stuff like that. So we'll see how it evolves as we get this thing kicked off. So however you're listening today, we thank you very much. We hope you'll subscribe, give us good ratings, etc. And you can follow along with me on the mighty Twitter. You know, the old Twitter thing. And I'm at at Jim Day TV. That's at Jim Day TV. I'm also Jim Day TV on Instagram. And we invite you to check out Reds.com, MLB.com on a daily basis. And make sure you follow the Reds on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and others to get all the daily updates. And let's face it, in today's world, hourly updates. And you'll get updates on future editions of this here podcast. So hold on. Let's take this ride together into the podcast stratosphere. And make sure you hold on tight. Should be a fun ride. Let's get it on. For the inaugural edition of the Jim Day Podcast, we had to start Big. So we went to the top of the food chain in Reds country 
And right now, no, that's not a player. It is Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman. As you know, Marty calling it quits this coming season, after the season, and really it's bittersweet, as many of you know, at least in my generation. Hey, I'm like many of you out there. I was that little kid that idolized Marty and Joe, and I was that kid that snuck the transistor radio into my room at night, put it under the pillow so I could listen to the games. You know, those, especially those late West Coast games, back when the Reds were in the National League West and they went out to the West Coast a lot. Many times you had to get up for school the next day. You had to get up early, but you listened to those late games because you had to, had to, had to listen to the games. And, oh, by the way, Transistor Radio, for you younger listeners out there, just Google it. Some of my first memories are in Riverfront Stadium when it first opened, and it was majestic, man. It was bright. It was just, we marveled at it. And back then, we marveled at the brightness and how cool AstroTurf was. And once again, AstroTurf, kids, just Google it. And the Big Red Machine, one of the greatest baseball teams that ever graced the field, appeared right before our very eyes, and boy, did we get to enjoy it. Now, very few games were broadcast on television back then. So the connection was through that radio and through Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall. And little did we know, after taking the job in 1974, Franchester Martin Brenneman would stay on the job for 46 years. 46 years. Now, imagine not only doing a job for 46 years, but doing it at the highest level. I mean, we're talking about, and this is my opinion only, I know, but to me, you can count on one hand, maybe two hands, those that have broadcast baseball at the level of Marty Brenneman. And yes, indeed, with the most unique and very, very candid style. And boy, have we been spoiled with calls like this. Done out there with the bases loaded, the outfield deep and around toward right, and the 1-0 on the way to the plate. Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the Reds. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Adam Dunn with a screaming line drive into the... Cleveland bullpen in right field, and the Reds have done what appeared to be the impossible. His teammates are waiting on him. Jerry Naren is out of the dugout, banging his hands together. Adam Dunn with a ninth-inning, two-out grand slam home run. What a finish at Great American Ballpark. The Reds have rallied to beat the Indians with nine runs in their last two at-bats. And there are so many calls through the years, and none of them sound the same. He has a unique way. You know, people ask me, you know, what makes Marty so good or great? And you could point to this or that and say this or that, but you can phrase it up very simply by saying he simply has it. Now, back in the day, I could never have imagined one day I would not only be a colleague of his, but a friend. And full disclosure, we've actually developed a very close friendship over the last several years. So the Reds fan in me, the lifelong Reds fan, I'm sad he's retiring. He's been the soundtrack to many of our lives. A lot of people know nothing but Marty calling Reds games. And this is going to sound corny, but he's kind of been like that artist painting the picture 
and it has been one of the best paintings to ever hit a canvas. And we get one last go around with this unique artist this season. But I sit here as a friend as well. And as a friend, I'm happy for Marty. He gets to go out on his own terms. And as he has said, he gets to retire while he still has good health. And he'll get to do many things in life that baseball, quite frankly, has kept him from doing. And he'll get to do them while he has a quality of life. And let's face it, he has earned it. So I finagled Marty into sitting down for an extended chat. This is going to be a two-parter, folks. Now, I had a few notes written down when we sat down, but I just let the conversation go as it may. Now, with Marty, you just never know where it's going to go. So let's jump right in. My first guest on the Jim Day Podcast, Hall of Famer, Marty Brenneman. So on the inaugural jump into the podcast world, we're with Marty Brenneman, the Hall of Famer, of course, the aforementioned Marty Brenneman. And, you know, we'd like to start this podcast with some breaking news. So this will be a good time for you to tell the world that you've changed your mind on this retirement thing, right? Uh, that's not correct. <laughs> I, I, I feel more strongly about it now than I did when I uh, made the announcement back in uh, January. So I'm, I'm good for it. Wow. I was hoping for some breaking news, but... Uh, I'm not sure I could have imagined one day we'd be sitting here on a podcast talking digitally, but thank you for joining us. No, my pleasure. Believe me, I, you're a pal of mine, and we've had a good time over the last few years, and if I can help in any way to get this thing off the ground, I'm happy to do it. Well, let's see how it flies. Yeah, we will. Believe me. All right, let's uh, – 1974. Mm. The year was 1974. Um could you have ever imagined then that you would be sitting here in 2019 and everything that has happened since 74 till now? Could you, then, could you have imagined? No, I could not have. I, um, I mean, the job in and of itself came out of the blue. I mean, I was involved in, in professional basketball uh, in the old ABA, and, you know, I was, I was rubbing shoulders with people like Julia Serving and George Gervin and Charlie Scott and people like that. That's awesome. Traveling around the country and loving every second of it. And I'd done AAA baseball for three years with the Tidewater Club, which at the time was a, a AAA farm club of the New York Mets. And this thing just came out of the blue because the general manager of that AAA team – God rest his soul, Dave Rosenfield thought enough of me to recommend me to Dick Wagner, who was the Reds' assistant general manager. They met by chance at the winter meetings in November of uh, 73, and Dick happened to mention that they'd lost their number one guy, Al Michaels, to the San Francisco Giants, and Dave said, well, I got a guy who does my games that I think is pretty good, and Dick's response was the obligatory, tell him to send us a tape. Oh, yeah. And I did. I did it out of a courtesy to Dave more than I did initially having any interest at all in the job. Uh, but I felt it would have been disrespectful to him to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. So I sent the tape, never gave it a second thought. And then uh, probably, I don't know, two months later, I get a call one night from, uh, uh, as I found out, uh, Wagner and, and uh, Jim Winters, who was the director of broadcasting, and um, Roger Rule, who was the director of marketing. And they, uh, they said, we like your tape. Um, could you send us some additional information? And I said, like what? And they said, would you send us like a five-minute sportscast, um, an interview, a commercial? I said, I'll do all that. And I did it, sent it off. 
And then I get a call about two weeks later saying um, we, uh, we're interested in flying you to Cincinnati for an interview. So I came in on a Thursday. I had to be in Indianapolis on Saturday to do a game between the Squires and the Indiana Pacers. And so it worked out. I came in. I was interviewed. I went, they took me to the Masonette for dinner. And, I mean, I was born at night, but not last night. I knew what this deal was all about. Well, in those days, if they're taking you to the Masonette, it's on. Well, I mean, it was an interview yeah, uh, in, in, in a very casual setting. And so the next day, uh, which was a Friday, they took me in to meet Bob Housem. And then I went back with Wagner and, and these guys, and, and they said, well, we're going to uh, get you back to your hotel. Uh, and I was flying to Indianapolis then. I was not driving. I was flying there. And I had a late flight late in the afternoon or early in the evening, and, and we'll get back in touch with you. I said, okay. So I go back to the hotel, and I'm putting my stuff together. I get a call on the phone. They said, we've changed our minds. We want you to come back to the ballpark. We're going to offer you the job. Wow. So I go back, and uh, they made the offer, and I said, I want to go home and talk to my wife about it. And they were kind of taken aback because they – You didn't take it on the spot? No. Oh, my goodness. I said, I've got to go back to Virginia Beach and talk to my wife. And and so I went back, and and we talked, and she said, go for it. And I called – he called me back at 5.30 on Sunday afternoon and said, can you – do you have an answer for us? I said, yeah, I'm I'm on board. So that's the way it happened. And when I came – um, I never dreamed about being here 46 years later. I mean, you don't think about things like that. You think about the moment at hand. And, um, you know, somebody said to me uh, in recent years, you ever think when you came here you'd be in the broadcaster's wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame? I said, no, because when I came here, there was no such thing as a right. broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well for me. I, I, I had to do it all over again. I wouldn't change anything. Well, I would say it worked out uh, slightly well mm-hmm. uh, for you. But that's, you know, now that I think about this classic Marty that you wouldn't accept on the spot, you would just, well, we're going to make you, I'll make you wait a little bit. I'll, I'll, let me make you wait a little bit. Which... Well, the funny thing was, when I said that, <laughs> they said, well, when can you let us know? <laughs> and I said, well, I've, probably on Sunday. Yeah. Well, we got like 150 other tapes here. We got some other guys. We well, they, they had narrowed it down to three people. And I, and I firmly believe I got the job because I would work for less money than the other two. And they were big league announcers. <laughs> I, know, I know how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Woods, who worked uh, with Bob Prince doing the Pirate Games, and Monty Moore, who for years did the Oakland Athletics Games and was immensely popular in Northern California. And they were the other two broadcasters that went down to the final three after 221 people applied for it. 221 people. Wow. Goodness gracious. Well, well thank goodness um, they selected you. Now, 1974, we've talked about this so many times. I know. Um, I'm sorry as you're asking me the question. You get tired of listening to this. No, I, I'm, I don't. I'd get damn tired of listening I, to I know. But <laughs> for this podcast, podcast purposes, I, you know. To talk about what happened in your first half inning oh, is, yeah. is truly incredible. It now, is. To set the, the scene for those that don't know. You're talking about the regular season now. You're not talking, talking about, about the that regu- major oh. faux pas in spring training, but go ahead. <laughs> you know what? We'll backtrack to that one because that's a, a fantastic story, too. But your regular season major league debut yep. 
Hank Aaron is sitting one home run away from Babe Ruth, the most iconic baseball record of all time. Correct. The home run champion. And it was a little different because this is Babe Ruth. This is not um, Barry Bonds chasing Hank Aaron, which was a whole different thing. This That's was right. an iconic record. And the Braves are in town. They just, you know, there was a much discussion of whether Hank Aaron was going to play. They wanted him to, they were worried about him breaking the record uh, on the road and not in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. First half inning, top of the first. He hits a home run, the iconic home run, and I, I know you cringe when I praise you, but your call was flawless in your first half inning of Major League work, which set the stage that we knew we were in for something special. Field shaded around toward left for Aaron. Billingham with a pause, the 3-1 pitch, swung on, long shot into deep left field, Rose is back, and that ball is gone, a home run. just tied Babe Ruth's home run record of 714 with a cloud over the 375 marker in left field. The Braves are piling out of the dugout. The crowd is on its feet in mass here at Riverfront Stadium as Hank Aaron has just hammered a 3-1 pitch from Jack Billingham over the left field wall. Were you nervous and were you thinking about it when he came up to the plate like this could happen, like, right now. Was it even in your brain? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, given who, with the nature of the man we're talking about, I mean, I, I did you expect it? No. Were you surprised? Absolutely not. Um, and I, you know, I was happy with the call. I mean, I was overwhelmed by everything about that day. You know, Gerald Ford was there taking, uh, representing the presidency, Richard Nixon. I guess it was Nixon then. Yeah, it had to be. And Ford was there, and, um, you know, all the controversy about whether or not Aaron was going to play. And Bowie Kuhn said, yes, you're going to play the right. opener. Yep. And um, and then, you know, Jack Billingham with two on fell behind three balls and one strike, which I Jack has become one of my dear friends on earth. And uh, we were – a man and I were down with he and Jolene for three days back in January. And we were really close. And I give him a hard time about that. I said, you know, you deserve whatever success I've had in this business. You have to take a, a piece of a small piece of satisfaction, knowing that you did a stupid thing and falling behind. You served three up the tater. Thank you very and much. That's right. And um, and then the inning ended. You know, it's a three-run home run by Aaron. The inning ended later. And first thing Joe Nuxall said was, "I'll be damned." He said, "What do you do for an encore?" I said, "I I have no idea. I don't know." It was. Um, it was quite a way to begin. There's no question about that. Oh, but luckily for us, too, there was plenty of encores after that. All right, let's backtrack to spring trading that year. That's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. This is a, a beautiful story. <laughs> I mean, this is this is just beautiful because, you know, you remember the show Happy Days when I'm dating myself here, but, the, you know, the Fonz couldn't admit that he was wrong. You know, he would be, I was well, right. To say that you made a mistake is like that. It's to me. It's like you made a mistake on the air. Oh my gosh! It was a monumental mistake. Well, it was the subconscious. That's the best example of the subconscious that's ever yeah. been ever. You're taking over for Al Michaels. Correct. Al Michaels. Uh, Al and Joe. You know, were very popular. They too, were. for the few years that they were together. Yeah. Um, you're taking over for him, and 
tell the story, your first spring training game. Well, the, the first spring training game was that year was in Bradenton uh, against okay. the Pirates. Your first home. Yeah. yeah. And I'd gotten through that game. I was scared to death and got through it and felt really good about the way the broadcast went. So now the next day they opened at Al Lopez Field in, in Tampa where they were training at that time. And I was as loose that day as I was a relatively tight the day before. And I'll never forget, we had an engineer, uh, God rest his soul, by the name of Ken Kimball, who was out of Baltimore. And he engineered the Orioles games during the regular season and, and, and freelanced for a free trip to Florida every spring by working, you know. <laughs> so Ken had some age on him. Doesn't make him a bad guy. No, I used to play practical jokes on him. It was a shame of stuff I did to him. But um, he cued me to go on the air, and I said, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Reds Baseball from Al Michaels Field in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> And as soon as I said it, I knew what I'd said. And I looked to my left, and I thought Joe was going to fall out of his seat. He was laughing so hard. I was mortified. And I went to a commercial break, and he said, the regular season has not begun yet, and I have material for the banquet circuit next fall. <laughs> and the Reds had a uh, – the Inquirer beat writer at the time was a guy by the name of Bob Herzl, who now is a sports editor of the newspaper in Morgantown, West Virginia. And Bob and I have been lifelong friends. And But he and Al were really tight. He and Michaels were really tight. And he got wind of it within minutes after I'd said it and immediately got on the phone and called Al and told Al about it. Now got a huge shot. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Al knew about it within 20 minutes after the oh, words were Oh, that makes it even better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that has survived time. In fact, uh, the two days after I announced my retirement, uh, the Reds were on their caravan. You were on a different bus from me. But in the middle of uh, – on a two-lane highway in Kentucky, Al called me. And he and I talked for about 30 minutes, and he never fails to bring that up. I said, you know, I said, I thanked you in my first sentence, in my acceptance speech you when did. I went into the broadcaster's wing. Yeah. And uh, it's it, – both of them – are hard to believe. I mean, the, the the spring training mistake, the Al Michaels field mistake, and then calling Henry Aaron's record-tying home run in the first half inning of my run as a broadcaster with the Reds. I mean, you can't script that. You no. can't write those into a script. That's quite the emotional arc in a short, yeah, period, short period of time. Now, speaking of Al Michaels, you, you've talked about people that have reached out, and uh, he's a little jealous of the rings you got, right? He brought that up, too, on the phone. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I run into Chris Collinsworth occasionally, and Chris never fails to say, Al, you know, Al's still ticked off about the fact you got two worlds. And I told him, I said, nobody put a gun to yeah. you and said you had to go to San Francisco. Right. Uh, I really I really like the guy. I've been around him a number of times over the years, and we've had dinner in L.A., and um, I, I was no question that his decision was a smart one. And in light it's, of what it's transpired. It's worked out for him. It's worked out very well. Yeah, it's worked and, out very and, well. And, 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 in the pantheon of great sports announcers, he probably would rank in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, would Mabel the single greatest call in the history of sport? Do you believe Do you in believe miracles? Him? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, I, I was flattered that he called. I was flattered that I had a long conversation with Vin Scully. And, um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a pretty good run. It really has. A lot of people reached out, right? Yeah. You know, Bench, Johnny Bench told me in, in – uh, in 2000. He this is your chance to name drop, by the way. I know. I, so I'm doing it, too. Good. <laughs> but he told me the day I was I got the call uh, about going into the broadcaster's wing, 
And that, this is before social media, before cell phones. He called me on the phone. He said, do yourself a favor and get a legal pad and write down the name of everyone you've heard from. He said, because you're not going to hear from guys that don't like you, whatever the reason. They don't like you personally. They don't like your work. Nobody's going to call you who li- doesn't like you. You're only going to hear from people who truly like you and are thrilled about what's happened. And I did that. And and he was right. And now we fast forward to the retirement thing, and, and, and I've got them all on my phone, uh, although I still come across tweet, tweets that people wrote. I read a great one that Peter Gammons wrote, which I was – very appreciative of what from Peter King, mm-hmm. uh, who was a beat writer here at one time. And, you know, you hear from people that you don't expect to hear from. And Amanda told me uh, on the morning that I made the announcement at that Reds luncheon, she said, this is going to be one of the biggest things and the most memorable things that have ever happened to you. I said, people retire all the time. I mean, that's not a big deal. She said, just wait. And she was right. She was right. I, I was purely uh, – taken by the people that I heard from, uh, you know, current broadcasters and uh, people who I never would have dreamed uh, that I that would have contacted me. So it, it, it was uh, it truly was one of the more memorable days in my career. Well, I had the uh, you know, I was one of the people that knew that it was coming at some some point. It was just yeah, when you, you did. were going to announce it. And I you said, well, I'm making the announcement, blah, 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 on this date and we'll see if anyone cares. I'm like, what? This is going to be. Major, major news, not only in Cincinnati, but in the baseball world. Um, And, you know, I'm not shocked at all by this outbreak. And it's going to be a season. Can can I say? Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I'm going to just say that that you'll hear some stuff probably that I've never said before anywhere on this podcast. And one of the things that Amanda's heard me say this, and I say it with all humility, everybody out there thinks I'm a better baseball broadcaster than I am. I have never, ever in my lifetime put myself up on the same pedestal with the Scullys and the Bucks and the Harwells and people like that. I have never put myself in their class, and I truly don't believe I am. I mean, I, all, I, nobody could have had a more fulfilling career than I've had in terms of honors and in terms of longevity and, and in, thir- in terms of popularity with the people that turn on the radio nightly and listen but I've never thought that I was any better or any worse than a lot of guys out there that probably never will realize the things that I've had happen to me. Truly. Well, <laughs> I love a humble person. And, and I'm, I'm dead serious about that. I, and she looked at me like I had three heads when I told well, her. Well, I'm looking at I you said, well, like you have I mean, three heads right now. That's just the way I feel. I mean, You can I, count you know, them on one hand. Well, the, I don't know about that. I appreciate okay, that, maybe. but you're a good friend of mine. I, no, you're but, one of my dear friends in life. Let people long people before. should understand this podcast <laughs> right out of the gate. They should understand that. I understand that, but long before I was graced with becoming your friend, I was. And I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million and one. I was the kid with the transistor radio, sneaking it into the bedroom hiding it under the pillow, wouldn't go to bed in the West Coast games until Joe said he was rounding third and heading for home, even though the Reds lost most of those games on the West Coast. I listened to every word you guys said, I, you, and I listened to a lot of baseball. I was one of those guys as well at nighttime trying to get the signal of a sure, Cam OX. I mean, you know, trying to hear this and that. And I've, you know, studied the craft. You, my friend, are, if it's not on one hand, it's on two. Uh, that have called baseball. I games. appreciate that. So, 
I've put more people to sleep in my lifetime than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> in a good way, though. We try. There, there then, were some nights where you know the Dodgers are leading seven to two, and I'm trying to hold on. Um, but you, you got a chance to find out what the real Marty Brennan was like. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's his greatest story of all time, ladies and gentlemen. This was like what was your lie a, a few weeks ago when uh, this was culture shock. I, I really, you know, I met Marty and <laughs> you grow to. You think you know a person, like people always say, well, you know, you broadcast the Reds games. I feel like you're a part of the family, which is a great compliment. You know, because nice. we're on every night. They listen to you every night or they it's watch nice. TV every night, and it's a great compliment. Yeah. But there's a broadcaster on the air, <laughs> and there's a broadcaster off the air. Yes. So I knew you as this persona on the air, and then I met you, and I was thinking to myself, my goodness, I think Marty is a god, but... God doesn't talk that way. <laughs> That's the greatest line of all time. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, I was taken aback. But we've had some laughs now. <laughs> we've had some serious we've laughs. We've had some serious laughs. Maybe we'll do a podcast one day of... Uh, the real stuff? The real stuff. <laughs> well, you don't want to do that till after you retire. That's true. Because then you would implicate yourself. Right. I, I do need employment. That's and I'm very a, true. I'm a uh, dorky-looking middle-aged guy <laughs> trying to hang on on TV. So You're doing okay. You're doing all right. <laughs> But, uh, wow, yeah, it's, uh, but never could I have imagined that, uh, and I don't want to make this podcast about me, certainly, but never could I have imagined that I would become friends with you. Uh, it's crazy to me. I, it's still never lost on me, and it's not because, um, you know, you're, I think you're one of the greatest broadcasters has ever lived. It's true friendship. I mean, we, obviously is. we have to spend it is. a lot of time together, and we, we, we do have years that separate, but for some reason... Your and I's humor <laughs> kind of meshed. <laughs> That's one of the things I'm going to miss most about this job. Hanging out. Well, hanging yeah. out. I mean, you know, I've done a rather impromptu poll over the last two or three years, and I started it with retirement in mind, had no idea when it was going to be. But I talked to people from all walks of life, doctors, lawyers, broadcasters, all of whom had one thing in common. They'd retired. Yeah. And I said, what do you miss most about your job? 98% of them never said the job. 98% of them said the people. Yeah. And I'm sure that's going to be the toughest thing for me. I mean, when I think about getting together with you and my son and Brantley and Welsh and Yid, Dave Armbruster, our radio engineer and producer, and people like that every night and sitting down in the press dining room <laughs> and having dinner and telling stories and saying things um, – <laughs> I'm going to miss that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to miss it terribly. Well, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to be as scarred emotionally. Uh, <laughs> some of the abuse <laughs> I take, and you won't have people taking impromptu pictures of you anymore. Oh goodness gracious! No way. I want to go out know, in a blaze of glory in, in 2019 for people that don't know. <laughs> By the way, I, you shocked everyone earlier. I, I never thought I'd heard I would hear coming out of your mouth. I saw a tweet. I did. I know, and you're a voyeur on Twitter. I am. On Under Twitter. You, name. You just follow people, so I do. you're kind of a stalker on Twitter. I am. But I am. on Instagram, you're big time. You're, you post a lot of pictures. Major. You're very much engaged. Yeah. And for those that don't know, um, usually when you take a picture of someone and you post it, they know you're taking that picture. Correct. Marty doesn't give me that courtesy. <laughs> it's at my worst moments when I look my fattest. 
or I look tired. Or you're oh, taking I look tired a picture all the time. of yourself or looking at a picture of yourself. <laughs> no, that was fabricated. I might bring uh, that back. Uh, well, you brought picture. them back a thousand times. I know, times. but people, they, they love seeing them. Uh, particularly over the uh, last season when I was just filling in some gaps on the radio, which was crazy, by the way, that I got to call games with you. That's bucket list. Check that off. Um, <laughs> but back to being a TV geek full time. Uh, but, man, you, I, I, I wouldn't know you're taking a picture. That is so unfair. That you I, well, that. you know, you live with it. You just have to get used to it. You get a little gun shy when you start looking around, seeing what's happening. Uh, the one, I mean, you, on the golf course when I'm wearing a That's shirt. That's one of that, the better that, pictures. Well, uh, that I, I mispacked because I wore a shirt that was more of a medium. So, yeah, I, so it was a little tight. <laughs> And that, that other good picture was after you hit that ball off the practice range. <laughs> well, it was still in play. There were no no. And stakes. I got you trudging across. Oh, yeah. it. There's no stakes, <laughs> and the the look on the people's face that were on the practice. That's range. embarrassing, by the way. Uh, hey, man, the ball was in play. I didn't want to take the stroke. And by the way, I nailed it. I put it on the yes, green. Yes, you did. I give you credit for that. No <laughs> right in front of the people no that question. were like, well, "What's this dude doing?" I'm like, I just, you know, I pulled the shot. You want to talk about it. that time you're going to kick that guy's ass in San Diego? <laughs> no. You don't want to talk about that? Okay. <laughs> no. All right. We're going to have to save that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, so you're killing me. I knew uh, you were going to get me into trouble. Uh, let's somehow get this back on. Okay. Track. I wasn't going to. He was going to kill me, by the way. Yeah, I was but then he, he was barking up the wrong guy. <laughs> well, you know, I apologize to the man. I know he, you did. he wasn't going to take he it. Wasn't interested. And when he picked up that boulder, and wanted to throw he it. He said, me. "I'm going to kill you." <laughs> All right, let's try to get okay. this thing back on track okay. here. Uh, although people probably are like, "No, keep it off track. Keep it off track." <laughs> um, you, your style, um, obviously, people say Marty tells it like it is. Uh, you've been very honest in saying. I don't necessarily tell it as it is. I tell it how I see it. Or I and think it a, is. Or I think it is. Yeah, and right. there's a difference, correct? Yeah, there is. Um, and it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't presume to tell people that what I'm looking at, because sometimes there are things that are going on um, that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, the example I use is uh, a game back in, I don't know, 77 or 78, and the Reds were playing at Shea Stadium, and it was a cold night. Um, early in the season, and George Foster was in left field, and he had a bad night. He, he misjudged a fly ball. He left a ton of people on base. He threw the wrong base, and I was very critical of him. And when I got back downstairs, um, I went into the manager's office, Sparky's office, and I said, God Almighty, he was terrible. Sparky said he's sick as a dog. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he got a fever of 103 and went out there and played tonight. Well, I went on the air the next day, and uh, my line is, the worst mistake you can make in our business is not correcting one. And I just said, I made a mistake. I was off base. I was not privy to the information. George was sick, and he played anyway. Uh, that's Thankfully, that's not happened very often. But uh, I, I found out that over the years, you can say what you think is right, and it may be right. But if that same description is played back to the offending player or played back to his manager – they will say, well, that's not the way it happened. And more often than not, it was the way it happened. But, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. It's the way I I broadcast. And, um, you know, it's a a least friendly route that you take when you do it the way I've done it. Because, and I'm not naming names, and and I've never been critical of of, um, the style that 
uh, a broadcaster uses. Um, uh, if, if you want to be a cheerleader and root for the club and refer to the team as we and the opponents as they, have at it. Do whatever you need to do. I'm not going to be critical. That's not my style. I don't feel comfortable because I'm not in, I'm, I am not in that closed fraternity down on the field. And for me to say we gives off a false impression that I think I'm part of that. I'm not part of that. And so. And someone taught you that, correct? The aforementioned Jack Billingham. Jack Billingham. Again, my good, one of my dear friends. Because you dropped the wee. You dropped some wees early a, on. It was, a, oh, yeah. I listened to tapes now from 74 yeah. and uh, early in 75. That's when it changed. I know. And I, I brought this up to you that I, yeah. I like I heard you say we. And I hear tapes today and I cringe when I hear it. As my good friend Mark Wicker, who's a columnist for the Orange County newspaper, that famous French word meaning yes. Uh, <laughs> And I used to use that word. And then I, after a game against the Braves one night, when the Reds, I think they won 23-7, to Atlanta was horrible back then. And I made a comment to Jack Billingham, who had pitched that night. I said, boy, that was a great game we played last night. He said, how many hits did you get? How many people did you get out? We? That was it. That was a defining moment in my career right there. I said, never again. And it's not happened. Um, but when you take that – when you, when you establish that as a style, um, then you incur the wrath of players. Um, and the one thing I've done is I walk down the middle of that clubhouse the, the next day. I'm in there every day. Well, that was that's actually on my list here. I had to write down some things. And to your credit, uh, when you are critical of these players, and you have been over the years, obviously, some guys, particularly talk radio show hosts, that will just blast guys, and you never see them in the clubhouse ever because it's a different animal when you got to face these guys face-to-face. Yeah, we call that in the business hiding behind the microphone. Correct. Yeah. Um, to your credit, you show your face every day in that clubhouse, and you make yourself available if a player has a problem with it, and I give you a ton well, of credit for that. You got, if, you have, if you want to have any credibility at all, you got to show up. I mean, like I said, I jokingly say this ain't no barbershop. You don't have to stand in line to talk to me because I'll be there. And I've had, I've had, you know, I've had one with Eric Davis. I had one with uh, Francisco Cordero in the clubhouse at Wrigley Field. Um, had uh, one with Junior, did you? I, oh, yeah. That was a famous, uh, I'll, I was here before you got here, and I'll be here after you're gone. Which was prophetic, by the way. That's, As it was. That that, that, it, I can't say that anymore, though. Uh, that well, that's true. over with now. But I, you guys mended fences, though. Uh, right? Well, yeah, it was amazing. It had to do with him not running out of ground ball one night mm-hmm. uh, or one day, whatever it was, at Great American Ballpark, and I said he loafed. And the next day, uh, you know, this thing was – fate dictated that this had to happen. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, I walked through the clubhouse – and the players were already on the field taking batting practice. That clubhouse should have been empty. He was in there. And all the writers were still in there. And as I walked through, he yelled at me. He said, you know, paraphrasing, what the hell did you mean by what you said last night? I said, you're talking about me referring to you as loafing? He said, yeah. I said, that's because that's what you did. And so one thing led to another, and it Got more heated by the second, and that's when I said to him, look, I was here before you got here, and I'll be here after you're gone. Well, everybody heard it, all the writers and TV oh, people. Yeah. I mean, it became a major story. And uh, it was in all the papers the next day. And uh, so it was a big story for two or three days, and it just died. 
you know, without any further conversation between he and I, it just, it just disappeared. And, um, I found out later from his old man, Ken Griffey Sr., who's been a dear friend of mine forever. He said, i got to be honest with you. I told him within a matter of days after he had come on board in Cincinnati, it won't be too long before you and Marty Brenneman cross swords. And he was prophetic, and it happened. Yeah. But out of that, uh, I think, grew a, a, a mutual respect between the two of us because over time it disappeared, and, and he and I – talked I talked to him as much or more than anybody in that clubhouse and and uh, when he was traded to the White Sox uh, the club had flown from the west coast to Washington DC and we get into DC at the Mayflower Hotel like at five o'clock in the morning they had an off day that day in in Washington and you know we drag into the hotel and we get our room keys and we go to the elevator and as fate would have it he and I were on the same elevator with a couple of other guys and Elevator goes up, and one guy gets off. Another floor, another guy gets off. It's just he and I. And we're both dog-tired, and we get to his floor. And he starts out of the elevator, and he turns around and sticks his hand out. And I instinctively grabbed his hand, and we shook hands. I said, what's that for? He said, I've been traded. And he said, I just want you to know that I've enjoyed the relationship. I said, he, you know, we should carry on foolishness all the time. I said, hey, it's 5.30 in the morning. I said, I'm tired. I'm not interested in a bunch of crap right now at this time. I clean that up. And he said, no. And he pulled his phone out. And he showed me uh, the message that he'd gotten from his, his phone message. He got it from his agent um, that he, he recommending that he accept the trade to the White Sox. I went to bed at four to six in the morning with the biggest baseball story in the country. And of course, by the time I got up and got up and about at 1130 or 12 o'clock, it was, you know, big time yeah. news by then. So he, I, by and large, I had a great relationship with him and I, and I've often said, and, I've, and, and a lot of people, if they're honest enough and can get over the fact that Barry Bonds cheated, uh, he was the greatest player in the decade of the nineties because he did it without any help right. at all he 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 and he had chances to do it too yep. and refused to for me he was the greatest player in the decade of the 90s and for my money uh there i'm sure there are others but he should have been the first uh 100 by acclamation hall of famer agree with you yeah he uh boy could he dish it out uh, yes he could <laughs> with the best of he was a professional and i was at the brunt of that a, a lot as well um yeah but most of it he didn't mean it was just pulling your chain. Yeah. You know, and I, make no mistake about it. He was not a big fan of the media, period. No. Getting him to do an interview was uh, I know. was tough yeah. to do. But, he was uh, not as uh, amenable to that type of stuff as his old man was. I can tell you that. No. His but dad was very good. Get him that. around the locker or just, you know, shooting it. Uh, wow. Funny guy. I mean, one of the funniest guys ever. Yeah. Um, and he named me uh, We Got You. Um <laughs> <laughs> do you know that story? I do. <laughs> uh, I guess I should probably tell it. Well, uh, you know, doing the sidelines, there's often the other team often has a female. Reporter, Correct. Uh, who's often a little bit better on the eyes than me, particularly yeah. to shockingly baseball players. I know this is a shocker to people. So uh, Reds are playing the Padres uh, one day and they had a, you know, a female sideline reporter who was to the players, at least, I guess, very kind on the eyes. Correct. 
as opposed to me. So they were in a stretch, and they were stretching in a circle before batting practice, and he called me over. Said, hey, Jim Gray, get over here. He called me Jim Gray just to get you know under my skin. Jim Gray, come here. He put me in the middle of the circle, and he said, let me get this straight. They got her, and we got you. <laughs> as he looked me up and down. <laughs> course the team busts out they're just dying laughing he could be a funny man now he was a funny man yeah no yeah. question all right back to your style um do you think that this style of uh the so-called tell it as it is or tell it mm-hmm. um you know in your eyes or being critical that's going away would you agree without any question when i do my last game in september that's gone because um, I don't think of any, I can't think of anyone in the league now that does it your way, and it's a, it's, it's a dying breed. I, I can't think of anybody who's ever done it my way. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I mean, Vinny, Vinny could get on a guy, but he does it. He did it so eloquently that you would, you never knew. You had to after he finished, you'd stop and say, "God darn, he just skewered that guy." But he would do it eloquently. I'm like yeah. a bull in a china shop. I, I can't do it eloquently. I lay it right out there. Well, yeah, I listened to a clip the other day where it, it was you saying this bullpen stinks. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> like, wow. I that's a little strong. I mean, maybe at the time it stunk. Well, you you gave me a zinger last year when we did a game together, and I didn't know what to say because you know here I am. I'm I can't. Yeah, I, that was unfair. The, the, <laughs> it's all right. You know, it's you. You're being you. You shouldn't squelch that because I'm sitting next to you. Because, but you know. You're you. You have your reputation, and you I don't know, do it because of a reputation. No, I know, but it's you just, can get away. What I mean yeah, is, I know you can you get mean. away with. I know what you mean. It. So, <laughs> this is Homer Bailey on the mound. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, uh, I think he walked a guy. You're like uh, three one pitch, and ball four outside. He walked him. What's new? <laughs> and he looked over. Well, me. you very wisely kept quiet. He looked over at me like, oh, well, yeah. I got, I got, I got a text message. I'm not taking you off the subject. No, please do. But I got one of the many people I heard from was Ron Oster, and I think Ron was a was a very was was very anti Marty when he played, because and we never talked about it, Um, and we got along fine. And and I think in the years that have transpired, you know, he and Joe were very very close. And in the years that have gone by, we've gotten to be, you know, we're we're fine. He sent me a text and congratulated me on my retirement. He said, "I got to be honest with you, the one thing that most amazes me after all these years is that somebody has not really kicked your ass." He said, "I'm stunned." <laughs> But anyway, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, That is classic Ron Oster right there. Because that is, is a hard-nosed player that's right, right there. That's exactly right. Wow. Well, you know, if that's going to happen, we at least want to get it on video. I know. Uh, I know. If it but nobody, everybody's, nobody's going to hit an old man now. I mean, <laughs> the best shot. You never had. know in this world. No, you don't. Um, your style, do you think uh, this may be it? You've kind of elaborated, elaborated on this a little bit. Do you think you've overdone it at times? Uh, yeah, probably, probably. I mean, there are times I don't think I I don't think I have recently. I don't think I have in recent years. I think there was a time when I would get so mad uh, because they were so bad that I would probably say some things that that uh, if I had to 
choice to go back and redo it, I might have done it a little bit more tactfully. But I, I, I can't imagine, I can't think of one incident where I've said, and I'm sure they have been, but I don't, not, not one stands out to me where I've been critical about a player uh, on a given night over whatever he might have been criticized for that I felt later on that uh, I, I was a little bit tough on him. I should not have said that the way I did. Um, I, I truly believe this, and I know guys who have played would disagree with the way I feel, but I think this is the single toughest sport to play well of all of them. Football, basketball, baseball, all of them. And I mean not even close. Particularly hitting. Yeah, well, that's a part of it. Yeah. I mean, that's a part of it. Um, so I think there's a tendency sometime on my part to forget about that and, 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 and realize that, you know, these guys are the guys playing at the highest level of their profession. So obviously they have to be the best players uh, that there are on earth. Uh, I don't, I'm not so convinced that that's true now. I think there are guys in the big leagues that have no business being in the big leagues. But it all has to do with Russian guys to the major leagues because of the money we're paying them and, and blah, blah, blah. And back when I started, if you want a big league roster on opening day, that's because you damn well earned it. That's not the case anymore. Um, so, yeah, probably I have. Well, it takes a big man to admit that. Yeah. But uh, your style uh, people have loved, and it seemed to mesh – with Joe very well. It did. It was a good cop, bad cop. Exactly. Uh, you know, Joe was, uh, pardon the expression, but he was everyday Joe. Yeah. I mean, uh, a regular guy. Uh, he made mistakes. People loved him for it. Um, and he was as much behind the team, uh, on the air, off the air, as you will get. So, for some reason, boy, that meshed well. It really did because, you know, Joe was the kind of guy that, that if you were just in conversation with him and you made a, an outlandish comment about a player and it was a critical comment and he didn't agree with you, he would let you know right now. Um, he accepted me for the way I was. Um, there was never a time when we were at dinner on the road or – or playing golf, or whatever the case was, where he would say, yeah, you were tough. Yeah, that, that crap you said last night was all wrong. I mean, I'm sure that there were times that he cringed over something that I might have said. But I would never draw him into it. I would never make a comment and say, isn't that right, Joe? Right. I would never do that. Um, because I understood the way he was. I understood the fact that he was universally loved by everybody in that clubhouse. They loved him. They didn't just like him. They loved him. And and I knew that I was not universally loved in that clubhouse. But I didn't want to be mm -hmm. I, because uh, I was not a raw, raw type of guy, as we talked earlier. I could live with the way I was, and I didn't want to in any way um, taint what he had by being the guy that every one of them knew would come to their defense on the air or – have a reason why something occurred the way it did so you know we the longer we worked the closer we got um and i've said it a million times i know people listening to this probably have heard me say it of all the good things i've had come my way um i was not any more proud of of uh the fact that that the, the 31 years i worked with him was the most special time in my career because I learned from him. I learned how to, how to carry um, 
success. I learned how to carry celebrity. I learned how to um, not how to play golf, for God's sake. But uh, I used to get under his skin, and, and that game too bad. And did it purposely. Uh, what a shocker. But that's another story. Yeah, when you're, yeah, when I'm standing over a birdie, but what's this for, birdie? <laughs> and you're stand, well, I would just guess. And you walk through my line, and you're standing right over the hole. Like, literally, ladies and gentlemen, he's standing over the hole. This for birdie? And he stands there. He doesn't move while I'm putting it. And then I drop the club down sometimes. <laughs> when you putt and the club goes I down. I like when you do that because then we count it. That's right. I would never no, do it. Normally, I would it. miss the putt. I know. I would never do that unless we counted it. But, you know, he and I had a special relationship, and, and uh, the 31 years that he and I were together equal the longest that two guys have ever broadcast big league baseball, the others being Ben Scully and Jerry Doggett with the Dodgers. and um, Pretty good company. Yeah, it, it, we're a very good company. Well, you know you're big when, you know, Elvis. People know who that is. Or yeah. such and such and such and such. When you say – Marty and Joe, uh, people in the baseball world and really the sports world, they know who you're talking about. Marty and Joe was so big. Did it even? Did you ever stop and think, wow, um, we're a pretty big deal? Well, yeah, we used to get mail sent to Marty and Joe, Cincinnati, Ohio. No address, no nothing. And it would go through the post office downtown, and they never hesitated. They knew exactly where it was supposed to go. And I ran into a guy one day on the street in, in downtown Cincinnati. He introduced himself to me, and he was worked in that. I said, i got to ask you a question. I said, I related, and he was familiar with that because he'd heard me say it publicly before. I said, that's kind of breaking the law, isn't it? He said, well, we knew where it was supposed to go. It made no difference. And we'll, we'll, but the first time that ever happened, um, I realized then, I said, yeah, we're making an impact on the lives of some people that we can get mail addressed to us without an address on it. Yeah, and you you know you had the benefit of fifty thousand watts on the yeah that's right uh, on WLW. Um, there were in in the seventies the the big red machine was so big it made the Reds a national team and a lot of people pass that down. Baseball is one of those sports you pass it down from generation to generation. Um, and to me, I mean, Marty and Joe, it's it's you know God rest his soul. But uh, when I also got to meet Joe and sit in the booth the first time with you guys, I was. Uh, I was blown away, and I'm sure a lot of people in Reds country would feel the same way, that, uh, wow, you got to sit in there with a game with Marty and Joe. Well, we, we had fun. We had we really had a good time. And, and uh, Did you ever argue? Did you ever have, like, a, did you fight? Did you get in fights? Not physically, but, I mean, did really? Nope. That's a long time to work with someone. The only time that I think I ever had a harsh word with him was in my previous marriage, we had a Shih Tzu dog that I inherited. And we had gone to a Super Bowl party, and we came back home, and uh, it had just snowed enough that uh, it just barely covered the grass. And, and I, took, I took him outside to uh, do his business, and we had a stoop about, I don't know, 10 inches high, no, less than a foot, that he had to j- jump off of and go out in the yard. And when he jumped, he broke his hip. And mm. um, at end of story, we had to put him to sleep. And it was a very emotional time. And I made the comment to Joe about it. And Joe made some snide remark about it. And I jumped down his throat. I mean, that, that might be the only time that we ever – now, he'd get mad at me when I'd say something on the golf course, but I don't count that because that was designed. Didn't he get mad at you when you left him at the hotel? 
got very upset about that. That was a golf deal, too. Yeah. And I told him. I just, Marty's punctual, by the way, folks. If you are 30 seconds late. In fact, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. It, it, we were leaving the hotel at 630 in the morning to go play golf. I don't even remember where we were. But 6, 630 came, 635 came. We're pushing 620. I said, gentlemen, let's go. And they said, well, I said, hey. Yeah, he knew what time we were leaving. And he came out of the hotel with his golf bag just as we were turning the corner up ahead. And he saw it. And he jumped in a cab and came to the golf course. He's not happy. He's not happy. You left Joe behind. I know. I'm merciless. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I know you left me, but I mean, you know, come on. You're leaving Joe behind. That even hurts me <laughs> to think about. All right, that's part one of our conversation with Marty Brenneman. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll check out part two with Marty B. In part two, we'll continue to talk baseball, but then we'll have Marty take the terrible test, and you won't want to miss it. It's all pop culture and things from everyday life, and we'll learn a lot about what makes Marty tick, particularly away from the broadcast booth. That's on the next edition of the Jim Day Podcast. Once again, follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Day TV, and we hope you'll subscribe to this here podcast because, folks, we are just getting rolling. Thanks for listening. One episode in the books. Come on. Check you out next time on the Jim Day Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.